Orphaned at age 10 by a violent home invasion, Susanna Faulkner grew up wild, her stubbornness the only thing harder than her heart. Since then, she's used her skills to put a boot in the faces of those who deserve it. She knows she's wired wrong, but she's determined to wring something decent from the world before she leaves it. Never Go Home from Christopher Swan drops August 9th. everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be showing some love to the creators out there who we know personally. Today, we're talking about friends of ours. Now, the concept for this one got going a while back when our very own Tom Hespos talked about his personal shelf of honor, where he proudly displays copies of the books, games, music, etc. by the folks that he personally knows. It was just a Brilliant concept, such a perfect one, so simple and terrific. So the more I thought about it, the more I realized how many folks I knew who have produced some pretty amazing things, whether they're artists or authors, musicians, designers, and more. Now, we often joke about how we don't want to run advertisements on this show, but we figured if ever there was an exception to make, it was for the folks we know who we'd like to bullhorn because we're fans of them and we're fans of their work. So this episode, we're going to run another thunder round where we go around the table and talk up the folks we know who are producing super cool stuff. A lot of these things are available now. So if you like what you hear, go and give these folks a look. Go pick up a copy for yourself and tell them that the knuckleheads at Moments of Truth sent you. But please know that we have not received any compensation for anything we discuss this episode, nor have any of us shared with each other what we plan to talk up. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get into it. I'm your friendship bear, Bill Coffin, and with me today is Rainbow Dash, Chris Crenshaw. Friendship is magic. (laughs) Representing House Hufflepuff, Tom Hespos. Yeah, I'd be in Hufflepuff. <laughs> and friendly Smurf, Joe Pace. Smurfalicious. <laughs> Joe's got that like tattooed in Black that. Chantry across his stomach. I just, I just know it. <laughs> it's actually on my lower back. <laughs> exactly. All right, so... It's a Smurf stamp. So, so I'm going <laughs> to... Right, so I'm going to kick off round one and talk up somebody who I know who I'm a big fan of him. A uh, very cool person. His name is Ricardo Delgado. And Ricardo is a veteran Hollywood concept and storyboard artist who's worked on a ton of movies and TV shows, including things like Star Trek First Contact, Apollo 13, The Incredibles, Men in Black, The Emperor's New Groove, Dinosaur, Osmosis Jones, How to Train Your Dragon, The Last Two Matrix Movies, we won't hold that against him, Avatar, The Last Airbender, WALL-E, Deep Space Nine, and that's just, those are just the things he's credited for. He's done about twice as many things for which he's been uncredited, just doing illustration work, working the art departments for just every major super cool geek movie that's, that's come out in the last 30 years. But he's also an Eisner-winning comic book artist, and he's worked on a bunch of stuff at Dark Horse, and he's best known for this really cool series of dialogue-less dinosaur stories just called Age of, called Age of Reptiles. And there's three volumes. There's The Hunt, there's Tribal Warfare, and there's Ancient Egyptians. And they're all just these fantastic, basically silent stories following a, a dinosaur protagonist as they're just doing 
dinosaur stuff. They're not anthropomorphized or anything. It's just a just a story about dinosaurs in their world. But he just lives and breathes dinosaurs. He just gets it. And then these things, these books are so freaking cool. They're really, really great. And he's also done another thing called Hieroglyph, which is a much shorter story about this guy in an alien world who encounters an alien intelligence. It's a pretty cool, like lost in space story. But the things I really want to talk up for Ricardo, and I've gotten to know him. I got to know him back when I was very much involved in a little uh little company called Reliquary Press, I had the honor of helping to publish Ricardo. He brought a novel to us called Warhead. And Warhead is this absolutely over-the-top, bonkers, kick-ass novel set in a far future where, like, imagine every possible life form on Earth has evolved into a roughly bipedal humanoid kind of form and has sentience. And they're all coexisting on the same level, right? And there's this one guy who's this hard-bitten, like, Clint Eastwood, Sam Spade, kind of like private detective who's getting involved in this, in this total film noir kind of caper in this absolutely bonkers sci-fi over-the-top kind of scenario. Like there's like a kaiju attack in the middle of the story and just and there's like crooked cops and he just loads all this crazy stuff into the canon and just fires it at the reader. And I just love this book so much. It's it's definitely one of my favorite things I got to work on when I was when I, when I was you know when we were doing stuff with Reliquary quite a lot. Just a fantastic novel, and that's how I got to meet him and how I got to know him a little bit. So I'm a huge fan of his work there. But the biggest thing that I want to talk up with Ricardo is something he just put out, and it is a absolutely um, glorious book. It's called Dracula of Transylvania. This book is beautiful it is gorgeous it is it is I, I couldn't even tell you how many words it is because it's so it's such an odd format like it's a big like it's the size of a big like middle school textbook like it's just a big thick chunky hardback book lavishly illustrated throughout ricardo is a terrific illustrator so he's got all these great black and white illustrations in the back are this big series of all these color plates he included in i this is something i supported on kickstarter so i got this so this came with some some postcards he did and a bookmark it's just this incredibly well-written, super cool take on, it's his version of the classic Dracula story. To make a comparison, it's almost like if Guillermo del, del Toro wrote the original Dracula. Take that with a grain of salt because Ricardo is nobody's knockoff. He's very much on his own wavelength, doing his own thing. He's a ferociously original guy. And this book is so fantastic. The subtitle is History Bleeds Evil. And boy, does it ever in this book. To give you an idea what kind of pull Ricardo's got, I'm just going to read to you from the back of it a little bit. <laughs> We've got... Ricardo Delgado does for vampires what he has done for dinosaurs. His elegant and bloody take on Stoker's classic tale is refreshingly original and scary. From director John Landis of an American Werewolf in London. Jeez, oh, <laughs> right? Wow. Dark and disturbing, but so beautiful. I'm always mesmerized by his artwork. Now after this, I'll be it'll be hard to sleep. Thanks, Ricardo. Genny Tartarovsky, creator of Primal and Samurai Jack. And my favorite wow. accolade for this book. Ricardo Delgado's reimagining of Dracula is strange and bold and beautiful and brilliantly original. I love it and would be stunned by it if it wasn't coming from Ricardo, but brilliant is pretty much what I've come to expect from him. Still, he may have surpassed his usual brilliance here by Mike Mignola, creator of Hellboy itself. Oh, wow. <laughs> These things are earned, not given. That's high praise. Okay? High praise. <laughs> it's from Clover Press. The book is 45 bucks, but man, it's just like, like this is just, I got like a deluxe version it is just so freaking gorgeous. And honestly, his designs on Dracula are just really freaky and weird and alien, and they just look bizarre. And the other thing I love about this, this is that you don't see books published like this. This is an illustrated novel, but it's the size and scope of like a big like art book or like a big textbook. Like 
I find this book fascinating because it's so unlike your typical publishing experience. Usually a novel is smaller, it's handheld. This is like, a, this belongs on a lectern somewhere. I mean, this is like a beautiful, it's one of those beautiful books I own. Magnificently bound. It's got a it's got a sewn in cloth bookmark to it. Like it's just, they don't make books like this very often, but Ricardo sure as hell did. And it was a pleasure to back on a Kickstarter. I'm really proud of him for doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to actually have a copy and um, this is in a pole position on my shelf of honor. So Dracula of Transylvania by Ricardo Delgado. It's a fantastic book. If you can't get your hands on this, check out anything else he's done because um, it's all really, really cool. So the big question then is, is was his Avatar Last Airbender work on the cartoon or the live action movie? Because that's going to determine whether or not I have respect for him. <laughs> it was on the cartoon. It was definitely okay, on the cartoon. Okay, good. He's all good. Definitely on the cartoon. I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think he would have, um, I don't think he would have been on the live action to be perfectly frank with you. <laughs> so, but yeah, but, uh, but it's, 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 it's just really, really good stuff. So Tom, what have you got for us for round one? Oh, I, I've got to go with uh, my cousin, Al, Chris Afoli. Um, you, you'll hear me mention him from time to time. He is, you know, part of my clan of, of, of cool Jersey cousins. He, he's like the cousin in my family that I've just always connected with over the years. Like we've been really, really close friends. One of the things that he did, which I, I just consider to be tremendously ambitious, uh, you know, he's always been close to the music business. It's always, you know, been a dream of his. And, and you know, very early on, like while we were still in school, um, he started sending me stuff from his independent record label that he started up uh, called Dromedary Records, which, uh, you know, existed for, you know, seven or eight years. I believe he put it on hiatus for a while and then brought it back. And, you know, what that label has been doing has been putting out some great indie rock, a lot of it very guitar driven, which, you know, makes it right up my alley. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I love that he's been doing this all these years. And, you know, by the way, doing a lot of great shows like, uh, you know, before Maxwell's and Hoboken closed down, you know, he was a fixture there putting on shows, just rock shows all the time. Yeah. A, a lot of great bands on the label that I've come to really enjoy footstone and um you know it's sort of spiritual successor stuyvesant uh they're they're both great you know car driven <laughs> bands you know there's some great noise rock and stuff on there like cinema cinema is a band i definitely recommend that you check out on his label uh the 65s uh is another band that like put out a, one record that like i just absolutely love if you want to check them out, like the, probably the best way to do that would be on Bandcamp, um, dromedaryrecords.bandcamp.com. Go check out some of the music because, uh, you know, like I, as I get older anyway, especially with rock, you know, it's, I'm finding it very difficult to find new things to get into. But there's always, you know, a few gems on the records that my cousin's putting out. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're just awesome. fantastic. And, you know, I also wanted to add to like, He's he and I are very much in sync with our values. And Al is, you know, one of the first people to like raise his hand when, you know, there's somebody in need. Uh, he has put on some great, you know, charity events to, you know, uh, help international causes to help, you know, other causes that are local to Jersey. So like, you know, he's put together um, fundraising shows and donated profits to organizations that help, you know, people when they age out of the foster care system in Jersey. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, he, he is, you know, somebody I definitely want to support, you know, not just because he's my cousin, but also because he's a great human being and because he's putting out some great rock. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. So I live on the Jersey shore. I live within very easy distance of both the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank and the Stone Pony in Asbury Park. I imagine that if I look long and hard enough, I'll probably find a drama band showing up yeah, there at yeah. some point in time, right? It's, it's, will. Um, and, yeah. And yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're getting on in years and some of these people are, you know, in our age group and they're, they're still doing it and they're still putting out, you know, great, great. Yeah. And, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I love it. It's not just for, you know, people who are 18 anymore. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> well, you know, it's dromedary records. It's good for just one hump. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna send that to him and tell him you know he needs a uh he needs a new slogan <laughs> <laughs> we got one for you you can have this one free of charge this is for you <laughs> outstanding sorry <laughs> yeah you're not don't lie all right no, not um, even a little <laughs> not even a little bit <laughs> all right chris wait what have you got for round one uh back around 2004 2005 my kids uh, were well only one was born i met uh this this kid named uh eli cook he was 19 he, he was I, I was introduced to him by a guy i met through the girl who cut my hair my friend uh eric was uh, a bassist and had recently started playing with this kid named eli cook born in nelson county virginia super country grew up without television picked up a guitar at 13 and and you know essentially taught himself to play you know blues guitar i saw him playing as eli cook band with uh, my friend eric on bass and uh, another guy on drums who i thought was really fantastic but eli is the greatest guitarist i've personally seen play really is amazing he's uh he i think i mentioned him on the podcast once before but he absolutely channels hendrix but it's in a, a sensitive to the past that it, it, you know it's, it's drawing on the musical language of the past but it's it's really modern in its sensibility when i met him he was recording his uh second album electric Ho electric holy firewater and if you can find a copy of it online which may be difficult uh band camp maybe it's just fantastic uh even though it has uh since its original release been edited they they had to cut a a cover of hendrix's uh castles in the sand out because Aww. yeah last thing I... <laughs> yeah uh, they, uh, there it was it was believed that there was an uh, an agreement with the the estate but it turns out no <laughs> um Eli, he, he was just uh, this country boy, is just the country boy who, you know, found something that he loved and and he's pursued it for, you know, 20 years now. He's never really hit it big. He's uh, he's been featured in a few magazines, national magazines. Yeah. Um, uh, a few a few music critics have, have said this guy is the real deal. Yeah. He's never really quite hit it big, but I, I've got all his albums, and they're they're all at least good. Electric Holy Water, Firewater is, uh, if you like electric blues, it, it's it's amazing. Electric uh, Holy Electric Holy was, Firewater. Yeah, all one word. All right, cool. It's uh, imagine uh, Hendrix mixed with Soundgarden. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Um, 
a lot of, uh, it's just a really really good album yeah. it was self-released uh he recorded it at a at a studio in richmond virginia it could use some production work yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> he was right. doing this stuff himself back then yeah for sure but for uh sure. yeah he eventually uh, actually moved to la and uh collaborated with a lot of uh session musicians out there and and you, you have to hear his voice yeah. because he sounds like like a, like a 70 year old black man with emphysema <laughs> and he was the skinny skinny white boy 19 when i met him yeah <laughs> so amazing chris, chris forgive me if you said this before but where's the best place we can find this is, it, is he is on a band camp I, I think band camp is probably the best place to find him yeah some of his stuff right. i'm sure yeah. is still in print but not all of it will yeah. be long live band camp by the way you can get everything i mean there are there is so much fantastic music on Bandcamp to, to be discovered. For like, sure. like, like I don't know of many other places that so reward musical discovery <laughs> as Bandcamp these days, to be honest. It's terrific. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. They, they run specials all the time, you know, where like everything is just discounted. And, and the, you know, if you have a Bandcamp day, like that's the day where I like to go and like, I'm going to hunt down 10, 12 records that I think I'll like. Yeah. Buy them all yeah. Day, like that kind of a thing. It's a, it's a fun thing to do, and you should commit to, to doing that just to pick up, you know, something new every once in a while. No, for sure. It's a good yeah. habit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe, what have you got for, for, for round one? Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, a young woman that I met when I was in uh, high school or college, depending on, on how we define it. But New Hampshire has a program called um, Youth in Government, which is a mock legislature, boys, girls, boys and girls state sort of all married together. And my junior year, I was governor of the program. And then a couple of years later, a young woman was governor uh, of the program. And then she went to UNH like I did. And I met her in UNH student government. She was a, a political science major, later went on to become a uh, professional improv comedian. And then she got Love her that. PhD. She got her PhD in communication. Her name is uh, Danigal Goldthwaite Young. She's a professor of communication at uh, the University of Delaware. Uh, she specializes in um, the intersection of entertainment and information and the psychology of political satire. And, and her, her research is exploring the psychology of how liberals and conservatives process and consume uh, information and media genres differently. Huh. And a lot of her work is around how for conservatives, opinion talk, so you know, hate radio and Fox and all that sort of stuff is is the political satire of the right, whereas stuff like The Daily Show or The Colbert Report is the irony of, of the left and that the, the psychology of conservatives and liberals are, uh, are wired differently to, to process this stuff differently. So her, her book um, is uh, Irony and Outrage, uh, is a book that she came out with a couple of years ago. And it's absolutely brilliant. And, and it, it, uh, it draws upon her experience as a political scientist and it draws upon her experience as a comedian to understand how we're wired differently to process comedy and to process even um, what we perceive to be funny yeah. is different for conservatives and liber liberals and that there, there's, a, there's psychological underpinnings that uh, have chasms between yeah. those. Uh, and, and she's a pioneer. She's been on... Uh, the Daily Show. She's been on Colbert Report. She's 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 gone on these these shows, and she's one that uh, she's a person that CNN will go to to talk about the intersection of media and comedy yeah. and politics. And she's absolutely brilliant. It's probably a little bit condescending to say that I'm proud of her, because but she's a couple of years younger than me, so I can say it. I'm proud of her. I wish I was young enough that I could be a student in her classroom. Because yeah, right. 
she she's pioneering um some some really groundbreaking yeah. research yeah. in areas that that are important to me and doing it from a a standpoint that is um uh really unusual and really authentic given her own background i have seen that book before and i'm, I'm confident i've seen her on either the daily show or colbert or perhaps both you know but yeah it's like because with comedy you know ultimately with comedy you're laughing at pain so it's like, well, what do you find painful, right? And so there's a massive difference in those things, but that's, that's a really fascinating area she's carved out. And uh, that's a really interesting origin story, like being a, a political scientist, being an improv comedian, like it's just a, it's just a very unique set of skills to, to, give you, to drive you to a very unique ability to look at a, something that's become massively important, right, in, in our political discourse. And, and, and the thing about Dana that's really interesting is, is she'll talk about how um, the capacity to process nuance is is different. And so like, if you have straight edge approach to there's good and bad, good and evil, you know, Manichaean worldview, and you, you, you're, you're primed to process outrage as a way that you see the world versus nuance. And we, we kind of laugh at the differences and we, and, and we laugh so that we don't cry essentially. <laughs> like, you know, like what, yeah. what, you know, how do we, how do we, um, how are we psychologically programmed to consume the world around us? When she was young, she had a, a, a you know, she was married, she had a child and then her, her husband passed when, of, of a brain tumor when her, uh, they were young, they were in their like late twenties. And then later she, she got remarried and had another child and she, she sort of minds the challenges and the, the obstacles that she's been through in her own life around how do we perceive the world relative to ourselves and what's our, what's our capacity for compassion with others. And that all informs and feeds into the research that she does. And I'm always stunned by one, how brilliant she is. And two, the fact that she's, she's taken some of the pain out of her own life and, and plowed it into her research. And like, she has the, the numbers and she's got the receipts to back yeah. up the work that she does. She's not just somebody out there bloviating. She's not yeah. one of Trump's kids saying what they think. She's yeah. actually done the research to inform the, um, the findings that she's putting out yeah. into the world. And we need more of her. Old school credibility. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Earned. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> I dig that in a big way. All right. Thanks, Joe. Uh, right, so round two, Tom. Why don't you kick us off? What have you got for us for for round two of 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 of, of friends of ours? Oh, all right, I, I have a couple of different writers I'm going to talk about, but the, the first one I want to talk about is somebody I went to high school with. Her name's Candace Walsh. We were in a number of classes together. Weren't like you know best buds friends, but you know we're friendly and and definitely very you know respectful of one another's sort of intellect. You know back even you know back in the high school days, you know years ago I was sort of catching up with you know some people in my class, uh, catching up to see what you know Candace was was up to, and it turns out she's put together and written some unbelievable stuff, and uh, she sent me some of her work when you know I, I was i would be gracious in describing myself is as not as open-minded as i am today <laughs> and uh <laughs> she has a lot I, of that goes for at least three of the four people on the show tom <laughs> so <laughs> say that again i'm sorry I, I, I said i said that goes for at least three of the four people on the show right now so <laughs> don't be too hard on yourself show I'll, I'll tell you about like the topics of the first couple of books, you know, she edited were like collections of essays, 
about women leaving their husbands for other women, which huh. you know, not a topic that, you know, your typical, you know, cisgender white guy, you know, um, is, is going to be particularly interested in like right off the bat, you know, I'm a very much, uh, you know, Jeeps and beer and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff uh, is typically my interest. But I got copies of the stuff in my hands and started reading it on the train. And I was like, these are some of the most honest and forthright uh, and, and, you know, emotionally stirring things I've read in a very long time. Uh, the first book was called Dear John, I Love Jean. Women write about leaving men for women. So it's a thing she put together with her and her now spouse. This is all based on personal experience. Yeah. Uh, but she's pulled together a lot of, you know, um, uh, those things from, from other women. Uh, so she wrote this or edited it with her spouse. She did a follow-up called Greetings from Jane Land, which is more of the same. I loved both. But the thing that she wrote that I just, I, I really adore because it's just like, it started out as a great concept and then a great execution on top of the concept was uh, this memoir she wrote called Licking the Spoon, a memoir of food, family, and identity. And the, the concept for this is kind of like, if you were to think about how would you tell your history you know, from, from your family history to all like the major developmental stages in your life, uh, the things that made you what you are through the lens of food and recipes. So that's like sure. kind of like the concept of the book. That's cool. I, you know, that's I was, very cool. This is really interesting because, you know, like yeah. it's attached to us in very like emotional ways, you know, there yeah. are certain things like I like to make that remind me of my family or remind me of growing up or yep, remind yep. me of cooking for my own children, things like that. You know, like if you're in that mindset and you like that mindset, like you will love this memoir. I thought it was just such a tremendous thing. I, I am so happy that somebody I, you know, I was, I went to high school with who like I can relate to was able to just like pull all this stuff together. I was like, wow, you know, Shoreham Waiting River High School representing, man. She kicked, she knocked <laughs> this stuff right out of the park. Uh, I love her writing. She's working on a novel right now. She's also working on her PhD in creative writing, but um, yeah. uh, there's a novel coming out. I, I heard that's tentatively titled Cleave. So be on the lookout for that when that comes out. But uh Right now, she's got a lot of uh, short stories and poetry being published. So uh, there's a, a terrific short story just published by Passengers Journal called Christians and Poets. Uh, I will put some links in the show notes for everybody to go check out Candace Walsh and her writing. But uh, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I eat it up. <laughs> That's awesome, Tom. And something I should have said before is that there will be links to everything that we call out in, in the show notes. Uh, if you want to go check out any of these things, we'll make it easy for you for sure. But uh, but no, Tom, that's really cool. Licking the Spoon is a great title for a book. I, like that, that's just, that's just, fan, that's just fantastic. And it's, like, oh yeah. And, one, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Like nail it first time out. That was, that was awesome. As, as you were saying, I started thinking like, okay, if I had to describe my my personal journey just by just just by calling out the, the foods that I've loved most at certain times of my life. Like I'm like, yeah, like and it just brings me right back to like where I was at a certain time or how I felt or what I was going through and like, you know, what was that what was my life like? And uh, and food does have that really 
primal connection to our past in the ways that it it connects us back in the ways that other things don't you know so yeah, i connects us, i love it connects our stuff. family you know like i've seen people yeah. execute similar things like based on music oh yeah. you know the music i was listening to at the time sure yeah it's much more interesting and fun to do it with food <laughs> i i frequently think about the fact that my my first wife made chop suey a certain way american chop suey and to this day it was the best thing about my first marriage and 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 i will still mention it and it's like yep that's the thing it's 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 very much a creature of time yeah. and place yeah. and, and and memory and uh you know you think about recipes and how often you go online to pull up a recipe and in order to get to the yeah. recipe you've got to plow through 10 pages of you know here's here's what this recipe means to me yeah exactly yeah exactly <laughs> like this, our relationship this, between food and memory and and, yeah. and sense of place is so yeah. it's pronounced. longer than the recipe itself yeah, uh, yeah it's, but, like, but, it's but, like when chris introduces any of his topics it's it's like <laughs> no, <laughs> right? wow oh, uh, man, which i love fire. by the way like i'm here for it because i dig it the most <laughs> chris chris is on mute while he seeds like, <laughs> you shouldn't because it's, it's a like, compliment i'll Jesus. get you pace i'll sure get you when you're, when you're sure not looking i'll get you <laughs> Right in the neck, I'll get you. <laughs> so, no, no, that's awesome. Um, all right, cool. So, so, <laughs> well, Chris, while you're off mute, what have you got for round two? Uh, you know, I don't think that we can uh, let this episode go by without talking about our friend Christopher Swan. Oh, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah. Christopher oh, yeah. Swan, friend of the show. He's been on a couple episodes. Big fan. 100%. Chris, Chris went to uh, college with Bill and Tom and I. Uh, he was a, a year ahead of me, a couple years ahead of, of Tom. He, he's an English teacher, which is what I always wanted to be. So, you know, I, I always, I already admire him. He has uh, recently turned to writing novels and done so remarkably successfully. He's released three so far, uh, Shadow of the Lions, Never Turn Back, and A Fire in the Night. I've read the first two, not the third one yet. They're excellent. I, I actually, I really, really particularly like the Shadow of the Lions. Same. Um, and yeah. Chris is just such a solid guy. Uh, it's it's really nice to to see him having the success that he's having. He's he's uh, you know mentioned. Uh, in fact, I think winning awards. Um, yeah. For a guy our age to to be uh, you know turning to to novels and and finding that kind of success, that's pretty neat me yeah for sure and and chris puts in the work too like he's he's an out there he's talking to a lot of people i'm kind of amazed at how much like he really lives at life of you know believing in his work promoting his work putting in the effort to really make sure people get to see it but he does a, he does a lot of talks with like other artists like other authors and like he just networks like crazy and like he must have the most amazing network of fellow writers and authors because he just he's out there he's constantly uh-huh. going out there and talking it's he, really i it's think really he knows cool about a million it. bookstore owners too he he must right seriously you know so a fire in the night is <laughs> that's also a really kick-ass thriller i gotta say I don't want to give too much of it away, but the main the main character. So education is always a big theme in his books, right? So the main character in Fire in the Night is medieval, like a medieval studies, you know, guy who has a very special set of skills. If you if you can imagine Liam Neeson saying it, um, which is super awesome. But as I was reading it, I kept thinking of <laughs> when I was in college. Chris and I had this professor named Ed Cron, who's a great, <laughs> ma- magnificent man. Ed Cron is is fantastic. I'm a huge fan of his. He taught me all about Sir Thomas Mallory and. Uh, Chris was studying Chrétien de Troyes under him and all that. And Ed Cron is just fantastic. I met him years ago, again, after I graduated, introduced him to my family. He's just a lovely, lovely guy. Um, but I just kept imagining he was the main character in this. And Ed somehow having the ability to, like, rack a shotgun and take care of fools. And it was, like, Chris, Chris's novel, it's a, great, it's a great thriller. It's really, really cool. 
but just from my own personal and this, it, by, and this is by no means a flaw of the writing at all. This is purely the unique intersection of what I know about Chris and what I know about my own life. And just like thinking every once in a while, I just kept my, finding myself like hearing the main characters talk in Professor Cron's voice. And it was just funny to me, you know, I was like, but, but nobody else will have that problem. But it's a, it's a fire in the night. It's a great, a great book. And you know what? You get a sense of Chris, like he's he's hit like this critical mass and like we're going to see a lot more from him. I, I think so, too. You know? And it's just going to build and build. And you check in a couple of years and like he's going to be I mean, he's he, he already shows these great pictures of like his books out in the wild. His books are freaking everywhere, airports and all over sure. the place. Like he's he's widely distributed and it's super awesome to see him do that and um, see them myself. Real deal, man. I, I remember yeah. back in school, like dude could write i mean like they had been trying to recruit me to do stuff yeah. at, the, the, at the student newspaper for a while and i was just like i'm not interested because i don't see anything that i that you guys do that yeah. i want to do and then i read swan's column in the paper and i was like i want to do what that guy does yeah. <laughs> people yeah, laugh he's, he's entertaining people that's what i want to do yeah <laughs> so yeah no, i inherited yeah. my column from chris swan <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading um, Shadow of the Lions uh, last year, I think, and just being totally blown away by his ability to create a sense of place. And, and, and that's one of the things I cherish most about authors is can they create an authentic and real sense of a, of a place? Yeah. And, and then characters almost are secondary to that, the setting to me. And he creates settings that are very real that you can walk right into. And it's a slow burn and you're in it and it's just character. And, and then all of a sudden you're in the middle of like, almost like a Hannibal Lecter, like silence of the lamb story that you didn't even see coming. <laughs> and it comes out of left field and you're like, what? And, and, and yet it, uh, it resonates and it's real and it, it's done in a way that uh, takes you with it. And yeah. one of the, the highest compliments that I can pay to an author that I know is about a chapter into reading it. I forgot that I knew the author. Yeah, right. And I'm just I'm just swept along like so much flotsam in the river, and I'm, yeah, I'm along yeah. for the ride. And, and Chris, man, like he's got chops. Heck yeah, he does. It's fantastic stuff. So cool. Well, look, Joe, what have you got for us for uh, for round two? Yeah, I'm going to move in a, in a slightly different direction, which is uh, my friend Scott David Chase, who I went to high school with, who is a painter. Uh, he works in acrylics. He works in watercolors, often on uh, black canvas. Because podcasts are such visual media, I'm going to show a couple of his, uh, like, you know, for interest, like, this is his Dr. Doom he did for me as a commission. Oh, um, I love that. And and he does a lot of negative space and a lot yeah. of uh, contrast. And it's just, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, years ago, I wrote a book called, called Minotaur, and he sent me uh, a Minotaur that he had done, which I absolutely adore. Dude, that um, is beautiful. Look at that. Yeah, he's just, he's, he's deeply talented. He has... Uh, also done a lot of uh, it's very, his work is very kinetic and he's done, he does a lot of uh, like animals and, and that sort of stuff. My kids have uh, my youngest uh, raccoons are his favorite and my oldest red pandas. And so they each have a raccoon and a red panda that Scott has done for them that are on their right. walls in their room that, is awesome. that they will take with them when they go on to do their own lives. Scott also has a, uh, has a podcast that he does. Uh, it's called, this is my truth. Tell you, tell me yours. And it's a, a podcast where he'll interview other artists and it can be painters, poets, uh, you know, writers, dancers, huh. you know, whatever they may be, anybody who creates. And he'll sit down for 90 minutes and talk to them about their process, their inspirations, their lives. And, you know, I've been on a show twice. He's done, I think, six or seven seasons worth 
of, of his show. He just brings out what people cherish about creativity. And he's, he's a huge believer in process and in creativity. And what do we do that gives back to the world from ourselves? Yeah. And um, so if anybody wants to, to listen to a, a show that explores that, explores the, the very different ways that we're all creative, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful podcast. And Scott's a great listener. And he has an ability, when you talk to him, a lot of stuff comes out. And so his shows are, are a lot of fun. And uh, I recommend both, you know, looking at his work and then also listening to his shows for anybody who who um, who loves the creative process and all the different ways that it can manifest itself. Oh, yeah. I love that yeah. stuff, man. Bill, yeah, I'm gonna- I've driven him crazy with questions about his writing process. And I, I drive everybody crazy about it because I just find it so fascinating. I love yeah. it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm gonna subscribe to the. I'm gonna subscribe the hell out of that show. I, that's exactly like that's the podcast I've been waiting for all this time. So, Joe, thank you for bringing it up because that sounds like a great listen. And just going back to the the artwork he showed before, I have to say he spots blacks magnificently. I'm a fiend for anybody who can really wield negative space, like very definitely. That and, and he he does that quite well. Those are some beautiful, just, I, beautiful pieces. I love his Picture, work. That that portrait of Doom is like it's. It, I mean, it's just a. Uh, Ah, it's it's fan it's fantastic. I really you know what it kind of reminds me of, um, and I hope you'll forgive a comparison. That reminds me of um, some of Bill Willingham's early artwork from the old D and D days. It, there's kind of like a John Byrne almost use of like kind of curved lines and, and implied mm-hmm. strength, um, but but he's got a much deeper sense of color. Like those figures will have a what have a much bigger sense of solidity than say Byrne ever did. Byrne's always looked a little flat, you know. And there's like a really great three-dimensional look to it but i, I love it. and the, the minotaur picture you showed was fantastic i love that a lot <laughs> that's really really good so uh can't, can't wait to check out the show well i think for round two um i have a very dear friend uh who has actually been on the show as well during our action figures episode very dear friend of mine named sean moynihan and sean and i uh worked together for a number of years uh in the journalism business and uh uh he is a big star wars fan i'm a big star wars fan at one point we had a cubicle one of those double wide cubicles where we both were in the same cubicle back to back so i called it the snow speeder you know <laughs> we're just like that's where we, we worked together in the snow speeder for a while Wait, which one Sean- of you got to get stepped on by the ad at though that's <laughs> Every every once in a while, Sean, something bad would happen with Sean's computer. He'd be like, oh, come on. And I'd go, Dak, Dak. Right. <laughs> and usually it would kind of break the it would, it would break the, the tension. But um, but but oh Sean is a multi, I mean, he has won an enormous number of journalism awards. He's won uh many, many Jesse H. Neal awards, which are kind of like the Pulitzer Prize in business journalism. He's won a ton of those. Uh, he's just his journalistic chops are are substantial. The thing with Sean is he's also an amazing musician, and I'm a huge fan of his music. This is his earliest album of his I have. It's um, and he's never a solo. He he and his he's got a friend named Alan Miller, and he and Alan have been making music together since they were in high school. So this is like a they've got like a going on 30 year long musical partnership. These guys just they just they know each other, they do really great work together. So they did this album as a band called Next Big Thing, and this album called Radiate, which is a lot of fun. And and a lot of their music is very, it's very like just sort of like just power pop, unapologetic power pop, right? Love it. They kind of draw on things like the outfield and that sort of stuff. And the next album of theirs is because they change up bands all the time, is this great band called Save Pluto, right? When Pluto was being decommissioned as a planet. Um, <laughs> right. I love this. And this this album's called Age of Lowered Expectations. And I've listened to this a bunch of times. I really quite like it. Um, my favorite track is a song called Worst Song Ever. 
which just always gives me a tickle. And I just love it the most. But the big one I want to talk about is one they just dropped. They dropped it on February 22nd. So on 2-22-22, they dropped, boom, If We Dare by Brother Dynamite. Now, I have a very personal connection to this album, not just because I'm very good friends with the guys who, who did it and, and Sean in particular, but as they would be working on tracks, you know, Sean and I have often gotten together and talked about just about creative process, right? You know, and we would get together after work and just have a couple of pints and really get into just talking process, right? Talking inspiration and talking about all that stuff and getting very heavy into it. And, um, and so he, Sean did me the ultimate honor of sharing with me bits of, of this album, small rough cuts, whenever as it was being produced, and would kind of ask me for my opinion on things like, Hey, I've got this laying down this guitar track in the song. What do you think? And I'm like, Oh, and I'll just, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not a sound engineer or anything. Like, no, no, no. Just tell me what you think as a listener. And so I'll just give them my thoughts as, as a listener and as a storyteller and just trying to be as, as, as open as I can about it. And we had these remarkable conversations um, as he would just, you know, some of these songs I've heard like six, seven times in their different iterations as I got from rough idea that some, it, usually these things just start off by Sean humming something into his iPhone, right? Just lay down a beat and just hearing it develop from there. Listen, you know, and I got, I got a backstage look at how this album came together, which was super freaking cool. It was, I just, I just can't explain it any other way. It was a super cool. And I just felt so privileged to be given access to this very vulnerable space. I could not have contributed meaningfully to this album in a musical fashion, right? All I could do is sit there offer my thoughts on it. But the fact that I was given a chance to take it in, when it was still formative, really meant a lot to me. And I, I very much, Absolutely. um, I really treasure the confidence and the trust that Sean placed in me to share these things with me when they weren't quite ready for the whole wide world to see and to listen to. This is just a kick-ass album. If We Dare is just a great album full of great songs. And musically, Sean and Alan, they have taken a quantum leap. If you've heard their previous stuff, in this one, it's way farther. There are songs here that have like a serious Beatles vibe going on, like late Beatles vibe. There's some songs that kind of draw upon like bits of the doors. And just it just like... They clearly are in touch with all of their musical influences. These guys are our age, so they've seen things, they've done things, they've got some miles on the road. So they 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 draw upon all that and they they honor all their their sources, but they don't get beholden to them. And there's still very much uh, an awareness of where they've been with a with a, a completely full throated, just sort of you know pointing at the future uh, kind of a sound. And it's just just a delight. And there's a lot of the songs kind of if you look at the course of the album for me anyway. It almost feels like the songs kind of chart the beginning, height, low, and death of a romantic relationship, right? There's almost a concept album. Concept feeling. album, yes. Right. I, I, seriously, <laughs> I don't know if they <laughs> mentioned that. When I listen to it, it hits me like a concept album, like a power pop concept album about being infatuated with somebody. You know, like life feels great. You find somebody, holy crap, I can't get over this. This is amazing. You know, and then the, the love deepens, and then the love sours, and then things fall apart, and then you figure in the wasteland, and you figure I'm going to live again. You know, and there's like this this process to it and i i love the story this album tells i love the songs that tell it i love the sound of it i love everything about this album and it was a absolute pleasure to go on Bandcamp the day it dropped and to buy this thing and get a physical copy sent my way brother dynamite if we dare it's just a great album uh you know you can find it on Bandcamp. you can find it on apple music spotify uh look up uh, brother dynamite you can buy some of their uh beautiful beautiful swag all that jazz but check it out i love this thing being behind the curtain uh, for the, the making of the sausage, if you will, and then being yeah. able to consume it on the, on the other end. Like I remember in, in college, my roommate had a, a, a ska band that he was in and 
they, I remember they used to practice in the room, in our living room and they would record in our living room and I'm in the, I'm in the next room, you know, and, and they're doing, they got the four track and they're, they're, you know, yeah. there's a, there's like a yell at the end of one of their big songs that they had. And they tried probably 50 times to get the yell just right. And yeah. I remember sitting in the next room and listening to them like, ah, ah, you know, like what's the sound going to be. <laughs> and like, so now I listen to it and I've yeah. got the, I've got the track. And when I hear it, I'm like, I remember when they nailed it yeah. and how excited they were in the next room yeah, yeah. that they finally nailed <laughs> yeah. the sound that they wanted. Yeah. And, and, you know, so that, that, that creative process yeah. and then to be a, a, an end consumer of it. I think there's an appreciation of it that is a little bit deeper and a little bit different than, uh, than your regular cat when it comes to it. One of my most treasured possessions in this regard, you know, the shelf of honor kind of stuff is before If We Dare dropped, Sean came down to my house and gave me this CD, which says, If We Dare, Final Masters on it. And he gave me this and we popped it in and he played for me the entire album before it released. And we sat there, we drank, we drank pints and we shot pool and we talked about, I talked to him about the process and about the songs and what this meant to him and like, what, it, what was it all about? What songs did he love? Where did it come from? Where does Sean end? Where does Alan begin? And then where does Alan begin and Sean end and that sort of stuff. And um, just a remarkable conversation. But this this CD, it's funny because I don't think I can even play CDs in my house. I don't think I actually have a CD player, <laughs> right? Every, I stream everything. But this CD, holy moly, I will never get rid of this thing. This thing goes on the special shelf because this is, this sure. is not just a, a great album. This is like a moment in time. And um, yeah, I just treasure it. I really, really do. Sean, thank you so much, man. Love you, brother. All right, so go, moving on to round three. Chris, what have you got for us for round three? Uh, yeah, I suppose I should mention uh, another friend of the show, uh, Mark Choir. Um, oh, yeah, Mark Choir. An artist who has provided work for every host of this show, yes. I believe. Um, <laughs> yes, more than is, once for many of us. Mark is an English uh, gentleman who, who I met through Facebook um, and, and Bill we were a team in uh the infamous uh, diplomacy game that that we've my talked god about. why did you why did you have to do that <laughs> we were having such a good time and you had well, to do that because I bring up the bill i, I had do to that? Oh. i had to because you know the theme of the episode was care bears and that's what we got called for teaming because <laughs> you were all right i'm not gonna get into it <laughs> <laughs> anyway mark uh yeah. mark is a really talented uh artist working in in digital media some really fantastic graphic design which i i actually yeah. think is his, his his biggest strength yeah. um his graphic design chops are really first rate for several of us he has done character portraits for our uh, role-playing game characters yeah. um you know as we describe them to him when when Mark is doing a piece for you. Uh, he, it's he's really consultative. Uh, you know, you, he makes you a part of the process. Make sure you get what you want. And most recently, I, I got a, a portrait of my son's uh, new monk character for our D and D campaign from Mark, and it's astonishing. Honestly, it, it really is. When you when you zoom in on it, yeah, it, it just gets better and better and better the closer you look. And that's a that's a, a real uh, that, that's a real talent I think in a in a graphic artist that you know when you can do that in a digital format it's pretty neat. Oh yeah, marker. Mark, if you have some needs, hire him. Oh, absolutely. I have recommended Mark to friends of mine in the ad business, and he has performed for them. 
just as well as he's performed for me and he's done character portraits for me he's done logos and and all sorts of stuff like that like he is one of the people including ours think, like from a creative perspective yeah. like i'm not you know a visual artist creative guy i'm a music and writing creative guy but like he's a person that like i've developed a special rapport with over facebook and over you know email yeah. and stuff like Same. that but like I know how to brief Mark Choir now. And like, I can say things to him <laughs> that I can't say to other creative people in the ad industry because yeah. I know he'll take it a certain way and it'll come through in the work and it, it'll really come through. So yeah. uh, he, he, yeah. is, he's a, he is a very special guy and a very talented artist that uh, yeah, I would refer to just about anybody who needs work. Yeah, he, he did, yeah, he did the logo for this podcast. And actually, um, I think by the time this season drops, it'll be featuring the new logo, which he just did just as a, as a, as a a friendly thing around Christmas time where he kind of jazzed it up and put some new stuff on there. And it's just, he's great at logos. He's great at character design. He's great at, he does a lot of stuff for mobile games. He does like icon design. I work with somebody on a, a, a project where um, they're developing a pitch deck and he created like, you know, kind of, you know, what something would look like on a mobile phone. I mean, he just does all kinds of stuff. This is super, super cool. He's extremely versatile. I've never seen a graphic designer who yeah. does so many different things so well that are so far apart from each other as Mark does. It's really kind of amazing that he gets that that breath going. It's pretty, pretty wild stuff. And, you know, not for nothing, ha has a wide acquaintanceship in the science fiction author uh, demographic. Um, he was meant yeah. to be a guest on our show about the culture. Because he yeah, because Ian Banks, he knew Ian Banks. Yeah, exactly. So, which is which is amazing. No, not long ago, I I, I rebooted my writing website, and Mark did a, a logo for me. And uh, to Tom and to Chris's point, very consultative, very uh, collaborative in the exercise of like, you know, what are you looking for? But not only does he understand the the final product and and how to design it, he actually creates the content. Like he actually drew the kind of typewriter that I was looking for to incorporate into the logo that then he, yeah. he you know, then, then he, yeah. he created exactly what I was looking for. So it's not, he's just, this is not a cut and paste creature. This is not a guy who's uh -huh. out there ripping stuff off. This guy actually creates the content that you're looking for and does it uh, custom made yeah. and gives you exactly what you're looking for. And I have to say, I bet if it's not what you're looking for, he would redo it. And he'll he would, make it he so would not be happy until you're yeah. happy yeah and well, and um from a creative standpoint um but don't I, be I'm a just, jerk to him no he's this lovely guy <laughs> even, though he's he's a a human being. even though There's he's no a even though he's a manchester city that. fan leave that, be nice to him anyway so, <laughs> so no acquiregraphics.com uh, q u q u i r e graphics.com you can find him there but he's yeah he's tip top and he's just he's the best i haven't so. told you guys yet but um uh Mark is working on the entire identity for the company that I haven't even told you guys yet that I am launching. Yo, I love oh. it. <laughs> I got to share with you this thing that he said, like, so I gave him the brief, which, you know, now can be delivered in shorthand because he knows yeah. we could speak yeah. another's language right now. And he types back to me on discord <laughs> quote, stay away from things that idiots might have tattooed on their bodies is my favorite part of the brief. <laughs> <laughs> no care bears finding the logo which needs to be a certain kind of iconic that i described yeah that's what he wrote back to me so fantastic <laughs> i love it that is so good and and, and, that, and that's so mark as well that's just, yeah. <laughs> i'm super happy that guy. we highlighted him because yes i i, I had a wonderful I, i've worked yeah. Yeah. with people that i didn't dig 
Mark is like one of the really rewarding experiences I've had working in a collaborative way with another creative. And yeah. That's so yeah. cool to have him. Yeah. Up. yeah. He wants you to succeed. He's a really, he's, he's, he's a, yeah, he's, I worked with a ton of people from like art direction and art design standpoint, and he's easily one of the, the very best to work with. He's fantastic. So, uh, right. Well, look, uh, moving on, to, you know, for round three, Joe, what have you got for round three for us? Yeah, uh, a gentleman that I went to high school with, we weren't particularly close in high school. We knew each other. You know how it is. There's guys who are yep. in your you know, second or third concentric circle out um, from, your, from your tight group. And um, this is a good dude, but we knew each other. Hey, how you doing in the, in the hallway? He actually um, went on to become a travel writer um, and doing you know, the magazine pro, you know, profiles and that sort of thing. Gentleman's name is Kevin Grange. There's a wonderful book he wrote called Beneath Blossom Rain about trekking through Nepal and, and doing Himalayan hikes and things of that nature. But then he decided in his 30s to become a paramedic and went to LA of all places to learn to be an EMT paramedic. And he wrote a book called Lights and Sirens about his experience learning to be an EMT in you know, the second largest city in North America. It's it's actually wonderful. Like he finds his narrative chops writing this book. And, yeah. and I remember. I mentioned it earlier today was a couple chapters in, I forget that it's Granger. I forget it's Kevin and I'm right. just reading the book and I'm along for the ride. And I'm like, what happens in the back of that ambulance? The coolest thing about Kevin is he continues to grow as a writer. And every time I read another of his books, I can see how much effort and craft he's put into what he does. And his, his third book uh, is called Wild Rescues um, because he went on to become he, he merged his passions and became uh, an EMT in uh, the National Park Service in North America. And he's worked at Yosemite, at uh, Yellowstone, at Grand Teton. And his latest, latest book is called Wild Rescues. And it's about working in emergency response in these really remote national park places where, you know, uh, Jim Bob and his RV gets stranded and yeah. somebody's got to go because the guy had a massive coronary and he's, yeah. you know, very far away from any kind of help and you've got to go in, you're the guy. And, um, or there's, you know, a car accident with moose and whatever else. So again, and so it's an absolutely wonderful story. It's, it's um, vignettes and anecdotes Mm -hmm. from his experience. And, and the the thing I love about Kevin is, is that he, he's very much an everyman. He doesn't write it from 30,000 feet down. He writes it from the ground up and it's, it's very much like, here's where I screwed up and here's where I made a mistake. And here's where I learned from, you know, this guy who's done it for 30 years. And it's a very immersive experience reading his prose. I'm deeply proud of him. I'm deeply, I, I, you know, I cherish his friendship and I just, I really enjoy reading his stuff and I look forward to uh, his books when they come out and I recommend them to anyone. Like that. I, that, that's I'm gonna run stuff like that. That is a book yeah. right up my alley, man. Yeah, right. I'm gonna run, not walk, to go pick this thing up. That's gonna be that's gonna there be a great is. read. I can't. Wait. I had to be, by the way, plucked off an island in Maine by uh, the, the park rangers and which it, island? Um, we actually don't know. It was uh, on <laughs> Chias, Maine, and we had been island hopping, hopping because our uh, Mount Deseret or one of those, yeah. And uh, we were far away from anything that, and, you know, it's all hunting cabins and stuff like that. But uh, like the people who have to do that stuff for no joke, man, like, like, oh, no, you, gotta, huh. you know, land a seaplane over here, or jump out of a helicopter here. I mean, that is yeah. Some crazy- yeah, I'm flashing on Norm, Norm McDonald, you know, like the, the smoke jumpers. <laughs> yeah. 
No, but but I mean, those guys are saving lives every day, though. I mean, that work that work it doesn't get much more real than that, to be honest. I mean, I mean not like the EMT stuff in LA is unreal. I, I mean, that's that's yeah, again, but it's like it's just it's just that's um, yeah, it's a special kind of cool. That's all I can say. It's really fantastic. I I look forward to reading it, Joe. One of the coolest things in the book is is the the amount of judgment involved, right? Like, I mean, I think one of the things I've learned at this stage of my life is that we all are capable and competent creatures at what we do, and a lot of that is, yeah, put the round peg into the round hole and do it again tomorrow and, and that sort of thing. But like when you have to make judgment calls, when you have to exercise your capacity to critically assess a situation and there's life or death on the line, very rarely do we have, like we have, we'll oftentimes have a lot of money on the line or we'll have consequences on the line, no question. But when it's this person in front of me is going to live or die based on my capacity to assess what's happening and do I, you know, air vac them or do I treat it on the scene or do they need this drug? And like that kind of immediate feedback around our, you know, the marriage of our judgment and our training, like that's not something that my, my wife experiences it as a doctor, but like, sure. I don't experience that. Like a lot of times the ramifications are, are weeks or months or even years down the line, but I love reading his stuff because it's like he would get immediate feedback. Like the next day, oh, that guy made it. And it's because I made the right call. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> too, you know, it's, it's not that you're out in the middle of the woods or, you know, something you got to do. Who else is going to give you advice? You're the only guy on the ground, you know, <laughs> he's got. Uh, yeah. Right. right there. Yeah. It's, Telehealth so. is one thing, but yeah, no, <laughs> um, you got to make the call in the moment. Fantastic. Right. So for this round, I'm going to call out a guy that I've had the pleasure of. Um, I'm a fan of his work, but I've gotten a chance to work with him on a number of times uh, as well. His name is Ramon Perez, and he is a uh, Eisner Award-winning cartoonist from Canada. He is this remarkable talent. He has just done an, just an amazing amount of work. Uh I got to know him in the RPG space. He was very prolific in doing uh, illustrations for role-playing games for quite a long time. That's where I got to meet him. That's where I first worked with him when I was uh, I was writing for Palladium Books back in the 90s and early 2000s. And uh, Ramon uh, did some illustrations to some of the books that I wrote. And we actually collaborated quite closely on two of them, uh, which are superhero books. There's a superhero role-playing book I did called Century Station and another one called Gramercy Island. And they're just chock full of all these like superhero characters I created. And he illustrated a large number of them. So we got to talk a lot about what do they look like? What are they all about and all that? And we just had these great conversations about that. But he's just a fantastic guy to collaborate with. Remarkable sense of humor. Fantastic. From there, though, he moved on to other, other things. When I moved on to other things as well, I was running a magazine called Risk Management, uh, just a B2B you know, risk managers magazine. But I hired him on a bunch of stories as a freelance illustrator. And he was just so great to work with. Like we're in, we're in, cause we, we, we had him coming in and he would offer these really wild takes on things you don't typically see in B2B press. We're doing like, you know, yeah, we need to do the story on patent trolls. So what, what's your idea? And he came up with all these actual trolls and business suits running amok in the story and like that kind of stuff, which is just, it's just delightful and so fantastic. Um, but then of course he moved on to do really big work in the comics world. So he's done an amazing amount of work for Marvel comics over, over the years. He's appeared in all kinds of stuff, Nova, Thor, Fantastic Four, Alpha Flight, Spider-Man, all new Hawkeye, just, just name a couple. I mean, he's done an enormous amount of, of things. Wolverine and the X-Men, John Carter and the gods of Mars, just He's all over. What? John Carter? No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's done some just all this stuff with Marvel, just, which is really quite cool. One comic he's currently working on with a compadre of his named Chip Zadarsky, who's a, a writer of no no small measure. 
they're doing this great book together called Stillwater. And Stillwater's current. You can check it out. I believe it's by Image Comics. And Stillwater is based on the concept of there is this town called Stillwater. And when you walk in this town limits, two things happen. One, you can't walk out again. Two, nobody in this town ever dies. And that's not a good thing. It starts from there, right? And it just kind of goes on. Like, and then obviously this dude's car breaks down and he just kind of like, he sort of wanders into town. Chugging over the corn flip. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And he gets in, he's like, okay, well, he, I'm here. I'm like, oh, we're glad to have you. And you're like, wait a minute, how come I can't get out? What the hell is going on here? And it just gets bonkers from there. And it's just a wonderful story. Ramon's work is so well suited for it. Chip Zdarsky's writing is really crisp. It's just a great, but Stillwater's a great comic. And I love it. But there are a bunch of other things I need to call out from him. What Ramon won the Eisner award for was this it's a graphic novel that i can simply i it, you just have to call it remarkable this is a remarkable graphic novel called tale of sand and it's a it's an adaptation of an early story that jim henson had done well before the muppets right you, you think of him as you know the guy behind the muppets but before he kind of struck it with the muppets he did a lot of really out there experimental kind of trippy stuff like short films and just bizarre stuff like that i believe tale of sand is a a graphic novel adaptation of a short film he done just of this this young man kind of going through this phantasmagoric kind of scene and ramon did it off of a lot of like henson's own notes and in close concert with the henson family and the estate and all that sort of thing and he just produced this remarkable the book almost has a lyrical quality to it even though much of it is silent you know there's just this visual poetry that goes on it kind of almost you can almost hear it you know as it moves along it's fantastic and Every serious reader graphic uh, storytelling should check it out. Um, but Ramon's busy in other places too. He's part of this thing called Raid. Raid is this collective of Canadian creators in Toronto, and they all get together and do all kinds of crazy stuff. At one point in time, I don't, I don't know if he's still there, but I, I think Carrie Nord was connected to it at one point. Isn't Carrie? You'll remember him. We mentioned he was uh, the guy who did that sublime watercolor art in the early Dark Horse Conan comics we talked about during our Conan episode. Oh, nice. like Ramon and Carrie you know, bump elbows quite a bit. And it's just, just amazing stuff. If you go to raid.world, that's where you come across the whole World Academy stuff. But there's also Raid Press they just launched, which is like their micro press just to kind of, a lot of lot of books being funded by Kickstarter. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff there. Ramon is also working on his own independent publishing thing. So he did two really awesome web comics back in the day. One was called Butternut Squash. And it was him and his, his co-creator, Rob. And it's pretty much just autobiographical. These two young 20-year-old guys just in Toronto just, you know, kicking around and just doing kind of rascally kind of stuff. It was just a lot of fun to read, you know. But then he also did this other really cool webcomic called Kukuburi. K-U-K-U-B-U-R-I. Kukuburi is just weird, trippy, often silent, kind of science fiction, kind of not, about this young woman undergoing this really wild journey. It's one of those things that the less said about it, the better. You should just, just sort of go, go to it and, and just start reading it. So, you can read the whole thing to date at kookaburry.com. But the important thing is, is that Ramon is, um, he's got a Kickstarter due to start any day now. And that's going to collect, I think, all of it in one volume. And um, I don't know if it's going to be adding to it or not. All I know is that I'll be backing this thing the moment I hear about it, because I'm a big fan of Ramon, big fan of Kookaburry, big fan of everything he does. He just, he just does an enormous amount of really, really cool work. I was really honored to get to work with him early on and then you see him just kind of blow up and do these really incredible things and it's, it's just it's just neat and it's like like when i see him at a comic convention I'm like ramon can you do a sketch for me he's like yeah oh sure and he just doesn't and it's like it's just, he's just the coolest dude he's just you know so i've got, Jesus, I've got another cyclops yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've actually so his artwork is pretty cool it's a very distinctive artwork style but um he's really into spotting his blacks heavily the way mike mignola does so he's not cribbing Mignola, but that's, that's the closest thing I can compare it to. But 
I've actually had him draw Mignola characters for me. So I've got a great portrait of Hellboy that Ramon did downstairs. And I have another portrait of Abe Sapien, same way. Uh, you know, but he's like a big Star Wars fiend. And I've got a great sketch of uh, of Forlom, the bounty hunter, in my sketch journal. It's just He just does crazy, awesome stuff. And uh, he's just a really great guy. And every time he does something new, I'm just thrilled to see it because uh, he's just one of those creators that I just the world's better for having them in it. So Ramon Perez, go to RamonPerez.com, go to Raid.World, go to Kookaburi.com, check it all out. It's all worth your time. So Tom, what have you got? What have you got for this round? Kind of like the way that you talk about Sean Moynihan is, is how I talk about my bud, uh, Alan Chappelle. The best way I can describe Alan is he is living my fantasy life from when I was like 14 or 15 when I was an amateur musician and thought I was going to be a rock star for a living. Um, so that's Alan. Alan is a guy I know from the digital marketing business. So we've known, you know, one another through that for a while. Uh, but he's a very, very talented musician. He's kind of like, you know, how you described Sean and that like, he's got, you know, like a day job, but like, yeah, that's funding a lot of the creativity on the back end. Yeah. So like Alan is like a bi-coastal internet privacy attorney, which means like there's maybe a dozen people in the country who do what Alan does and a lot of digital publishers like depend on him almost like an outsourced um, chief privacy officer to oh, like okay. do all their privacy work. So he's doing, you know, very well with that. And then, you know, it funds a lot of the stuff that he's doing, you know, putting albums out and stuff like that. So he, he uh, had a band, you know, uh, it was named after him. So his name Chappelle. I, I've seen him when he's come out this way to Long Island. I've seen him when he's, um, you know, like the Paramount in, in uh, on Long Island. I've seen him in the city, you know, at the Bitter End and like other spots like that where, yeah. uh, you know, he's been performing. But uh, he's got quite a few albums out that I really dig. It's definitely like a more poppy and, and light feel than like I'm typically used to, but I really dig what he's, he's putting out these days. Um, there are a couple of albums I really like. Uh, the Redhead's Allegations is a terrific one. If you want to look at that, um, uh, this is Chappelle.com, uh, C-H-A-P-E-L-L. Check it out. But uh, there's another album uh, that, that I really like called Love in the Summer of Trouble. And uh, if you want to yeah. And uh, I like the Redheads allegations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a really great creative album title. Yeah, and, very evocative. Uh, stuff like that. But lo loving the summer of trouble. Like, so, you know, you want to talk about badgering somebody about their creative process. Like, you know, a Alan is, you know, having me listen to stuff a lot of the time. He's having a lot of our mutual friends listen to stuff. Like, what do you think? Blah, blah, blah. You know, at one point he came to us and he's like, I'm really looking for a vibe on this one song that might be like, you know, like a Pink Floyd kind of thing. You have like the chorus of kids, that kind of thing. Yeah. So he said, like, I'm doing this track called Waiting, which is a song that's about uh, mass shootings. It's a pretty serious subject. Ooh. And he was looking for like a really like a chorus of children singing in this song. So could you maybe, you know, like use your kids? And I'm like, sure. And he's like, I'm going to use, you know, another mutual of our friend of ours, Mark Naples. I'm going to use his two kids too. He basically like sent us the sound files. I played them down here on the PC and had the kids sing into a mic. 
on it and sent the files back to him and he did like a little you know uh digital edits and you know the production and then boom my kids are singing on his record which is you know great that they can hear themselves (laughs) on something that's been put out but yeah uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's a it's a great tune called "Waiting." If you ever want to check it out, do give you know Alan's catalog a listen. It is uh, it, it it's terrific, and he's playing a lot of uh, live solo shows uh, recently. I think he was just at the Bitter End and uh, a couple of other places. But if you're in the New York City area, um, he's like I said, he's by Coastal too. So if you're out in, in San Francisco, he might be playing out there. But uh, do you know see if he can catch a show because uh he does some amazing shows with his band he does some amazing you know live one person shows just a really good all-around musician uh that i absolutely love to listen to cool i dig it and and tom by the way i've heard your kids sing before they are they are quite nice to listen to oh, you, you. Your, your kids are terrific they're, <laughs> they're terrific vocalists they are they are so when when they're not yelling in the microphone, that kid's trash. When they're playing Fortnite. <laughs> I know I have two Sonic experience with your kid with your kids. Either they're like trash talking kids, they're blasting with Fortnite, or they're singing like angels. It's like wow, it's, it's <laughs> quite a secret identity thing they got going on here. I love it. <laughs> so, all right, um, we're gonna see if we can do one more round here. So, uh, Joe, why don't you kick us off on if you have something for round four. I came late to drama in high school. My senior year, I got uh, recruited to be in a show. And one of the the guys that was in the show with me um, went on to a much larger showbiz career than I did. Um, His name was uh, Lloyd Alquist. And and he went on to become um, one of the two major players in the epic rap battles of history. If you've seen this YouTube series, um, there's (laughs) Nice Peter and Epic Lloyd. And Epic Lloyd and I went to high school together. He's a buddy of mine. And so good. um, So good. he um he's actually a, a remarkable actor and a remarkable chameleon uh, uh in the in the show he's one of the writers and one of the things i love about their uh web series is how uh really sharp the writing is like there oh, yeah. are there are oh, historic shops there's they don't just settle for the, the, the well let me let me back up they don't go for they the will easy settle ride. for the cheap joke yes they will settle for the cheap joke but then they'll also reach for the deeper cut and they, they managed to marry those things together. Yeah. So yes, they'll punch below the belt, but then they'll also make you think and, and look for the, the, the second and third and fourth level jokes um, yeah. in, the, in the sequence. And um, they're now, I, I think they were on season six now or something like that. Yeah. And they've, yeah. they've really um, done a wonderful job with their show. And one of the things I love about their, their series is as a historian myself, I respect some of what they bring to it. Like there's actually yeah. some historic yeah. chops that they bring, that they bring yeah. into yeah. it. And the, the production quality has gotten better as they've gone along. If you go back to like season one and two, it can get, you know, there, there's a lot of green of screen. There's a lot, but like, yeah, but it's kind as of they've gone along, the, the quality is, has hockey sticked and like, yes. in, in recent yeah. seasons. Uh, yeah. Look yeah. at uh, Frederick Douglass versus Thomas Jefferson. That's well, just, and they also get some very legitimate talent. You know, they get Key yeah. Peel, they get Weird Al Yankovic yeah. to play to play Isaac Newton. I mean, they, they yeah. get some really interesting stuff that goes on. I, I admire the writing, the production quality, the acting, like all of yeah. it. I think I, I love it. When a new one comes out, I watch it right away. And I've enjoyed 90% of the episodes that they've put out um, a great deal. And, uh, and and they're rewatchable, too. And so if, if, if you haven't, if for some reason, whatever, you know, rock you inhabit underneath, you haven't experienced ERB. I suggest Epic Rap Battles of History. Go to it, and there's a rabbit hole there for you, and I'll see you in a few weeks. 
I hope yeah. you enjoy Shakespeare versus Dr. Seuss. That one's wonderful. I mean, Churchill Roosevelt <laughs> is one of my favorites. Darwin versus Ash is one of my favorites. Um, I mean, there, there, there yeah, are a lot yeah, of yeah, There's a lot, yeah. Um, the Stan Lee versus Jim Henson. Stan Lee versus Jim Henson Disney. is, oh my God, it's my favorite one. That's, it, it, with a special oh, third so guest star at the end there, which is so good. It's so funny. I love yeah, it. Yeah, there's some of them that are wonderful. And, and what I love most about, about Lloyd is that, you know, this is a guy who who will play Hitler. He'll play Captain Kirk. He'll play, you know, Theodore Roosevelt. Well. Uh, what's yeah. that? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Like he, he's been yeah. all over the map and yeah. he, he very much captures the, it's almost like an SNL actor. Like, yes, yeah. it's not a hundred percent that person, but they they channel the essence of yeah. that creature. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it's and caricature. It it yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, well, yeah. yeah Cause they, they kind of balance this whole, like what people think they know about the person versus what is actually to be learned about the person. And you see, you often get both that in the same performance, which is really, it, there's a lot of, you know, you are mentioning nuance before. There's actually a, a lot of nuance going on in, in ERB, even though they occasionally punctuate it with, with a really, you know, piece of just, just very ribald humor, just very, just a very, you know, below the belt kind of thing. But they kind of, they, they know when to drop those in because there's so much intricacy going on. Else, and they just cut through something like just a, a simple punch to the face. Like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, <laughs> what was that? You know, but, but it, it shakes up and it's, it's just fantastic stuff. I hope the show never ends because like the internet, yeah. the internet produces a lot of terrible things but it produces some wonderful things that redeem it. I think ERB is one of those things that really kind of redeems <laughs> the internet in a large, large way. Cause you could, you would never get this in any other format, right? No, nowhere else could you have gotten this thing. It's just so quirky. It had to build up its own organic audience, but it's just, it's something it's so warranted. <laughs> no, it is. It, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's all I can tell you. It's just it's so great. So. I, I just, I cherish the fact that I once trod the boards with a guy who went on to, far far greater success as an actor and as you know as, yeah. as a creative personality and I, I just i really love that that lloyd is living his best life and is is entertaining yeah. people by oh, yeah. the, by the millions honestly yeah. if you look at the number of follows and, and views as a creative person if you can love the success of other creative people yes you know cherish and adore the fact that people are creating and 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 they're putting things out to the world that are entertaining that's i think it's a sign of maturity actually because i think when i was younger there you know when i was younger there may have been a sense of uh competition or a sense of uh jealousy or envy or any of those sorts of things and i think you you make it to a point in your life where you're like you know what i, I love the fact that that friends of mine or people that i know are putting out books that people love, are putting out paintings that people enjoy, are, yeah, are making yeah. things, making videos that people, you know, get entertainment out of. That's all awesome. The more awesome there is in the world, the, the better a place it is to live. Agree with you one one billion percent, Joe. Absolutely, yeah. That that's uh, that's that's so true. So, all right, so, so so Tom and Chris, I'm going to get to you in just a second. But before we do, I'm going to drop my pick for the fourth round, and it's going to be uh, a guy who I I met him on Facebook. I've gotten to know him a little bit. He and I just sort of con conversed a lot off the typical thing that brought us together. I'm not even sure I know his real name. Uh, his, his, I know his 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 name on the internet. He's a guy named Dyson Logos, and I've never seen his face. He covers it kind of Daft Punk stuff. He whenever his profile picture Banksy. is, it, yeah. yeah, he's he's wearing this like um this weird crocheted ski mask, but that's got like Cthulhu tentacles coming off the bottom, and he wears these like big goggles. And, like I just know what he looks like. I know he's from Canada, I think, but that's that's about that's about <laughs> that's about, that's all I know. But Dyson Logos, what he does is he is a cartographer. 
and his specialty is he does old school dungeon crawling maps like like mm. we used to have in old like ad and d and basic dnd like, that's his thing he just he's like and he just he's just been doing that specially by hand just you know hand just little cross hatching these magnificent old school dungeon maps and he's got a he's got a blog we just sort of throws them out there he's got a patreon you can just you know go there and, and support him and unlocks a bunch more he sold large collections of them on places like rpg now and drive through rpg guys if you are running a a a dnd game out there look up dyson logos his maps are just fantastic and often he puts little kind of inspirational kind of world building around it i mean his ability to tell a story through a map is actually quite amazing and i've used his maps a number of times in my own games they're just really fantastic he's actually been appearing in some of uh some of the dungeons and dragons fifth edition books so if you look at say huh. what water deep dragon heist those maps are dyson logos maps right now you look at them and as soon as you see them you'll know it. it's like it's got that old school kind of grid map kind of pen and ink thing uh th that's him and also That's in so uh, the, the recently released Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons, he's in here too. Oh, he's in there well, too. as well. Damn. He's in there too. Yeah. And once you once you see his work and you see the style, you'll you'll recognize it instantly if you see it in other places. And he's just at a time when maps, indeed, when RPG maps in particular are getting very, um, very beautiful, right? Very wonderfully done with lots of layers of color and shading and kind of top-down artistic renderings of entire places and all that. There is still something I think to be said for the really cool evocative simplicity of an old school kind of dungeon map where it really challenges the theater of the mind and your imagination to fill in all the details. And that's something I think of for gamers of certain vintage where I kind of grew up playing these games where not as many details were provided. I learned how to play them in a way where I, I embrace uh, in certain places, a paucity of detail so I can fill it in with my own. Right. And, um, not to get in the whole grognar thing of like that's a better way of playing it's it's just a way of playing that i grew up with it's not better or worse it's just the way i play D dungeons and dragons the fifth edition i think is the best edition of the game and i know some people probably add me for it but you know i just think it's a wonderful i played every version and i love fifth edition so very much for a number of reasons they still make room for it for in it for certain things that kind of evoke an older feel and not and not in a retrograde way and they made room for dyson's maps in this and i'm so thrilled that they did because it brings something special to it so um yeah so check out those books you want to check, check out dyson's work you can see him at dyson uh dyson logos blog and uh just go go to patreon.com slash dyson logos d-y-s-o-n-l-o-g-o-s and uh you know throw him throw him a fan every you know you know once a month and, and see what he's working on he's he's a very prolific blogger and he does really cool stuff he's just a very nice guy so go i would, I would encourage you to go check him out so tom what have you got for this fourth round i gotta show you the cover of this book because it just evokes for me the uh episode we did on free range childhood so this is a book called joey <laughs> somebody which was written by my friend joey dumont and i know this is not a, a, a you know video podcast but i love the subtitle you'll see the link um, yeah, yeah. The link. it's got a shirtless little boy with the 70s socks you know taking a bmx bike off a jump you know with the yellow tough wheels and this is basically like my childhood yeah with, with houses in the background by the way it's clearly like a house being built or like some park it's in like yeah, disrepair yeah. yeah well this is napoleon dynamite's neighbor <laughs> yeah <laughs> but oh, the, the, the name name of the book is joey somebody the life and times of a recovering douchebag <laughs> and and you know 
the title game in this episode has been strong, by the way. I've already cut you off now, but the title <laughs> game in this episode has been strong. I just great, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Joe is another guy I know from the digital advertising business. And, you know, he, he's somebody, you know, I'm, I'm not like super close with, but, uh, you know, feel like I know from just like, you know, decades of conferences and speaking on panels together and, you know, trading things in the trade press back and forth and, you know, things like that. So, you know, he's got a very similar background to mine, at least professionally. But then, you know, he put this book out and it was like just a testament to like that old saying about like how, you know, you should just be nice to everybody that you meet because you don't know what somebody is going through. Like some of the stuff that is covered in this memoir is just stuff like I like that absolutely floored me. Uh, You know, he talks about, you know, he didn't have the best childhood, uh, to put it mildly. And, you know, just having seen somebody I know and like gone through what he went through in his childhood was just flooring to me. Like I was just like, and he still, you know, turned out okay and still has like a career. And, you know, it was like one of those things that just absolutely floored me. I mean, there were people in our business because, you know, having gone through sort of like the dot-com boom and bust together, um, you know, you have soaringly high highs and then you have, you know, lows that just crash. And like some of the lows I saw in this book were just like, oh, my God, level like I would have given up like many times over faced with some of the same stuff that Joe was faced with. And it's another one of these books that I just absolutely love because it is so honest. It doesn't pull any punches with all the things that happened to him throughout his life. You know, whether they're things that like took him to the top or whether the things that took them to rock bottom. And uh, you know, it was just so surprising to get it from somebody because in, in my business, if you want to put out a crap book, you can put out a crap book. People have enough money in the digital marketing business now. Like they want to put out a crappy memoir. They absolutely can. And I've read dozens of those. This one, <laughs> I was like, holy, this, this is like one of the most compelling memoirs I've ever read. And that, that was saying a lot. <laughs> I, you know, is there, it, is there a chapter on woods porn? No, there is not. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, um, seeing in, you know, your, your entire career crash down in front of you is, is, you know, and, and having to come to terms with that is just, oof. you know, at the same time, by the way, that a lot of, you know, very personal stuff was going on with his family. It just did, it just did hit me right here. And I, I, I love the book. Uh, you know, I love, you know, how I now see Joe in a different light. And, uh, you know, though we were yeah. never, we were never like super close, like I mentioned, but like now I feel like there are intimate things I know about him and, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, it, it has a way of yeah. bringing you closer together, just reading about it. Tom, did he, did he present the book to you or did you, because you knew him and you knew we put this book out, you just picked it up because you're picking up a lot of things and you read yeah, this. I mean, and... he, he told me he was putting a book out and I'm like, you know, uh, yeah, you know, um, I'll, I'll, I'll scoop up a copy and yeah, you're making me a, a, a signed copy too. So I have two copies, <laughs> but you know, I, I try to do that with everybody, you know, I know who, uh, who, who puts something yeah. out. <laughs> what, what was your first conversation with him? Like after you read the book? I, like, it, it's kind of like, oh my God, I like, I, it, this was more of like an email thing where I, you know, like it wasn't face to face. I don't know mm, if I could yeah. have had that first conversation face to face, but I was like, yeah. oh my God, like I cannot fathom some of the things that happened to you. And 
you know, I, I was honest with him. I'm like, I, you know, faced with what you are faced with, there is no way I would have pulled through. <laughs> like, I, I'm really just impressed yeah. that you're, you're, you're still here, still talking to us, still talking to us from a place of like, you're okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh so, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I can't give too many more details without spoiling the book for people, but uh, yeah. you know, do go, do go out and, and pick it up. It's, you know, on Amazon, like everything else. So. Fantastic. We'll put a link. All right. <laughs> Uh, last one, Chris, what have you got for us on our, on our final round here before we wrap things up? You know, I, I just don't think we should wrap this up without, uh, mentioning our own, um, in, uh, in my freshman year of college, I was, uh, I shared a, a dorm room hall with uh, a guy named Bill Coffin who Who's that? went on to Ooh. have my, my dream job. Like, like he, he, he worked in role-playing game development and, like holy smokes that's to me that that's just amazing uh it would never have occurred to me to pursue that it, it would never have occurred to me that it was possible i admire you so much for uh for for having done it and i think it's brilliant but also uh our bill here is uh is an accomplished novelist um when i was a freshman he he gave me in a in a three ring binder uh a, a dot matrix printed copy of of his first novel uh and and on on the on the cover of this you know one inch red binder he had uh on in pencil done a cover for for this uh this novel um and, and he had actually published this thing no i did and not i thought you had i thought i'd gone no. back to the uh, libraries no 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 in fact in fact, Chris, you have the only remaining copy of that left on the planet Earth. Wow. I have lost my copies and I cannot find them. So you have a piece of, of my personal history there because I don't I, that book uh, is not seen okay. like that, it, it's gonna when I when I when I come across <laughs> it, when I empty out my storage unit, it's going back to you. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> no, 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 I, I gave that, it to you for a reason, happen. man. <laughs> but but uh Bill has 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 published a number number of novels since uh uh, his Pax Britannia series is a super interesting take on Arthurian legend and uh, his Omega Rain books are really enjoyable and uh, we can expect in coming months a new installment or or more uh, about which I am really excited. Uh, we were talking about being involved in uh, the process and uh, I, I have read bill's uh third volume in in the series and i'm about to read uh a redo of the first so i'm very excited about that and bill do admire you so much uh, uh I also lot, man. Thank you. absolutely need to recognize joe here yeah. um yeah. he's yes, a total do. prick but <laughs> he recently published a, a novel called moss and it really is it it it's astonishing. It is a really fantastic novel. I, I can't say enough about it. Um, I wrote a I wrote a a woefully inadequate review of it uh, on Amazon uh, after I, I read it, but uh, it, it's really it stuck with me. It's a fantastic book, Joe. Really, really do admire it, um, and and I, I hope that it has 
more success than you have ever hoped for because it deserves it it's it's just a really really good book uh folks uh you should you should look for it it's called moss and uh it's touching it, it will touch yeah. you yeah chris if i can just draft you uh, uh you, know, you know draft your lead there for a second i'd have to say that um yeah so i i was given a chance to read a draft of moss when i was on vacation last year and you know, one of the things is, you know, like, you, you know, you immediately, you, you're reading the draft, like, okay, so you, you know, cause I'm, I'm an editor in my day job. So immediately I'm like, all right, let's red pen this thing. Let's go. And I'm like, no, stop. Don't, don't do that. Why don't you just like read the book first there dummy. And just, and, you know, and, and yeah, by I think page three, I had forgotten Joe had read, had written this, this book and you know, it was just, it just pulled me. It was unlike anything that you've ever done before, Joe. And I know when we were talking about doing this episode, you in particular were like, Oh, this isn't going to be like a big, like mutual patting ourselves on the back type thing. Is it? And we're like, no, 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 we're not. But I was thinking parentheses better believe we're talking about Moss. Okay. <laughs> we're yeah. not going to have this thing without talk because Moss is a really truly special book and it's um this guy who is a frustrated writer who is living in the shadow of of a family legacy that i won't tell too much about there are twists and turns and he goes to confront that legacy in in a way that is very unique to him and as he does he learns exponentially more about who his father was who he is how those things are connected how they're not um about the trauma of generations, about the legacy of war, about the way soldiers suffer when they come home, about sense of place, about about New Hampshire, about it, it is deeply, deeply evocative of is a portal into Joe's Joe's backyard. You know, we were and, talking earlier about uh, authors that uh, create a sense of place. Sense of place, and, and, yes. Uh, the scrotum is a real enough place for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for sure. But, but, no, but, but 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 no, but Moss is Moss is one of the most special books I've ever read, and I I felt very very honored to be um to be in any way connected to it, and it is a magnificent book, and it is I guarantee you Moss is better than anything I'll ever write. It's a fantastic book, and I am deeply deeply proud to have it in my collect to have a signed copy in my collection. Um, I would have a shelf of honor just to put that book on it. I'll put it that way. Bill, I just want to um you know pull to the front of your mind like a, a, a private exchange that we had after you know i had finished moss uh where i said something to the effect of like you told me pace was a writer but you didn't tell me he could write like this <laughs> I, joe like w when i read this i was absolutely like i was flabbergasted at how how well you write and and uh yeah, a lot's been said, you know, about the the the, the, the evocative, you know, bits of a play. I really felt like I was there on that. Like, I have spent a lot of time in New England. I have spent a lot of time up there. And, like, I know the places that you're talking about. And, like, it was just like I was back immersed in it, like sucked right into it again. I, I loved that aspect of it. But, uh, you know, and, and I especially loved, like, sharing with you guys as, like, we were reading or as I was reading anyway and experiencing this, like, you know the, the the certain scenes that jump out at you and like being able to share that with you guys be like holy crap what was that you know like right <laughs> <laughs> that that aspect of it I, I i absolutely love too it's just it's such a there was there was one scene in particular and anybody who's read the book you know what scene mm -hmm. i'm talking about <laughs> and it 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 that generated extensive conversation in back channels we're just like holy moses that was a scene and it's the kind of thing that there are parts of the book that sort of stick with you forever, you know, and uh, and that, I can't say that of everything I've I've read, whether it's from 
um, <laughs> Bill Shakespeare on down, right? I mean, there's just, there's not everything has stuck with me the way, the way large portions of the book have just stuck with me and they will always stick with me. It's not just because Joe and I were talking, you know, and, and conversing quite a lot when he was writing it. It's just, it's just a hell of a book. And I just want to point out that people can't see this, but you know, cause this is an audio, but it's not a long book, right? It's a, it's a relatively slim volume. Okay. There is so much economy, narrative economy in this book. Like, it's almost like, it's almost got like a Yankee sense of parsimony in terms of like, I'm not going to go on. I'm going to get right to the heart of it. Right. And there's, there is no fat on this thing at all. Yeah. You're and totally you, right. That's why the print is so small. Yankees. <laughs> Cheap ass Yankees. <laughs> Cheap ass bastards. But, no, but, but, but as somebody, as somebody who's no stranger of writing 10,000 extra words, just because I like the sound of the way the keys go, uh, I can tell you, I really, I really, I really respect how on point and how focused the whole thing stays. And not a lot of books really manage to do that in today's digital publishing era, especially, but Joe keeps it really, really huh. tight, you know, really tight. So. Joe, did, you did not, uh, you did not employ an editor, did you? Um, well, I mean, other than your the, friends, not in the traditional sense of a paid editor to come in and, and, you know, hammer you into the ground around, uh, around that. But I mean, one one of the the uh, first and foremost, let me say that I'm 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 Puritan and Anglican enough to be deeply uncomfortable with the <laughs> with, with the praise that you guys are, you. are, are, are sharing. So like, uh, wait, I, wait, I appreciate... and, and to be fair, that's half the reason why we're giving it to you because we know it causes you pain. So <laughs> yeah, you know, you're you're yeah. doing this you're doing this as a as a way to hurt me, and I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I'm pissed on you if you're on fire. <laughs> yeah, I know. I believe you. I understand. I understand. Um, and, and I think one of the one of the most meaningful aspects of the creative journey of, of, of putting this particular book out was last summer, Bill, you and I were um, writing partners, not yeah. on the same project, but on parallel projects. Yeah. And we, we kept each other accountable and we would share um, both where we were in the narrative exercise and where we were in word counts and those sorts of things. And, and you were uh, deeply generous with your time around um, helping to hammer Moss into, into shape. And so no, I didn't use a traditional editorial service or anything like that, but I had people that were guardrails um, helping it stay where it needed to go. Um, it's taught. It's taught. It, it, it's basically, I mean, I like to think of it as if John Irving or if Stephen King had an editor that could push back on them, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> that, could, that could tell them, no, you don't yeah. need this much, right? Like, yeah. you know, take out some of those parenthetical phrases. I, I'm very, I'm very um, grateful that you, that you guys enjoyed it and that it's it's um, been received as well as it has. But I think beyond that, what I really cherish is from the, the, the creative process. And we've talked about it a few times about pulling that curtain back and, and about being able to be in the room when process is going on. And, um, you know, you guys were, um, were certainly part of that. And, and, and you know, Bill, you particular were sidecar, like we did this thing together. And um, it was one of the more really enjoyable and, and, and really deeply satisfying creative experiences in my life was doing that together where we would, we would kick the ball back and forth. And I would say, look, here's a chapter. What do you think? And then getting it back and being like, Oh, let's, let's make it better based on your feedback. And writing can be a deeply, deeply lonely exercise, but it doesn't have to be. And I, I think that's one of the, the lessons that that's come out of the last couple of years for me is our writing process is better when we have people that are there with us. And then the final product is better based on having really sharp minds along with us as we go. And, um, you know, to whatever extent Moss, uh, you know, landed as a, a fully formed thing, 
I wrote it, but I, I was not the only one in the delivery room. Um, and I, I really appreciate those who were along for it and, and helped to uh, help to do that. And I think what I've, what I've learned from that is if I can do that for anybody else ever, I'm going to do it because like, you know, Bill, you and I are, you know, you, you've got some work that's coming out. And I, I love that Chris mentioned your work because whether it's Pax Britannia or the Omega Rain stuff, like it's to be able to, to help midwife some of that is, mm-hmm. is as rewarding yeah. as anything of my own that I've helped put out. Uh, and I mentioned earlier in this episode that feeling joy for the creativity of others is, is yeah. the mark of a mature soul. Yeah, and, yeah big time. So, so to, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, you know, uh, speak about the praise of that and the, and the privilege, by the way, of being allowed, Bill, to, uh, you know, get a look at how the sausage is made with respect to what you're putting together, which I absolutely love. The, uh, yeah. you know, the Omega Rain stuff is like, I care deeply about those characters. I love your character development. And I have said that to you many times and, you know, have even felt like maybe I, I helped uh, dislodge you know certain aspects of moving forward on that project oh, true just say, no no you did hey buddy you, did. you know like i really love this guy and i really want to see him come back so can yeah. you please yeah oh yeah <laughs> well, well, well you know i think what i, what I think of all this stuff right <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> Last summer, you and I were both writing different books and the way we're just constantly pinging back and forth, like that was a first for me and deeply, deeply enjoyable. And to the extent that we did that, and I, I've been in writers groups before, I've been in creative writing classes before, I've been in writing circles where people kind of get together and collectively try to harness that creative energy. And there are a lot of people out there, there's a ton of writing blogs out there, right? With people offering their thoughts on what it means to be a writer, what it means to publish, all that sort of stuff. Um, and a lot of them often talk about, don't stay away from writing, stay away from writing groups. They're a bad idea, right? People are just going to tear you down. And they're not wrong. Like, I think there are a lot of people out there who just don't get joy in seeing other people create something cool, right? Because they're so round up in their own ego. Like, I want to create something. I want them to tell me how great I am. I'm not here to tell, to beat, to beef them up or to help them point out the flaws in their work. And so it becomes this weird gatekeeping exercise. Right. And there's just, it just happens to a lot of people. It's sad, you know, but, but I think if you can, like, if you can foster that trust and if you can kind of step outside yourself and realize that, you know, creative success is not a scarcity based resource. There's an infinite amount of it. If you let it be, if you can find somebody that you can really trust on a creative level and to work with them, like, like Sean and Alan, I mentioned before, those two guys, their trust is, I mean, it's ride or die. And those two guys, we've, I've talked to Sean a lot about how do you, and how do you and Alan work the thing out? It's a very intimate process. And he talked about, you know, it's all about trust and it's about, you know, loving what the other person can bring to the table. And it's like, if you can be that selfless, the rewards are massive, even if it's not your name on the on the product. That speaks to that. I think to some of the highest traditions of creativity and to, and to making the world, to brightening the world with the light of your creation. You know, I think that's that's the best thing you can do. And I, I remember when I was in college, you know, you'd read about like you know, you know that group that like Tolkien and Lewis and a bunch of others were in, and it's like you just imagine like, man, what would it be like to be with those guys as they're talking and like. Every, every writer who's heard about that thinks to some degree, oh man, if I could just be in there for one time, or if I could be part of a group like that, this little Avengers squad of fellow writers, we all just kind of riff off each other. That's like, that's like the dream, but it's hard because you got to give of yourself to get there, right? Yeah, and C.S. Lewis told Tolkien, no, you can't publish this. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one will leave yeah. There's there's one guy there's one guy in that group who I I can't remember his name and that's kind of the point of it because he never became famous himself but he's known for Tolkien brought like another chapter of the Fellowship and he went oh not you and your fucking elves again <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> like that's what he's known for is like dunking on Tolkien for the elves like oh my god but you know but like that's sort of that fellowship is is such a rare thing and and yeah Joe like it's like writing is so often just you and the keys you know and or you and the pen and it's like if you if any creative endeavor if you can find any partnership in it god that just magnifies everything even it magnifies the quality of the work but also magnifies the experience and just the the bliss. I, I don't know, but I, I don't know if I can speak for anybody else. I feel a sense of bliss when I create. There are times when I'm creating and you go through like the hard, it's like, it's like sometimes creativity is like a, a plane trying to break the sound barrier, right? Right before a plane gets to the sound barrier, it's like shaking itself apart. It's just like so, it's so turbulent, it's so rough. And then it, it breaks that speed of sound. All of a sudden, everything's just smooth flying. It's just perfect. And for me, creativity is often feeling like that. Like there's all that turbulence and pain trying to get to that state of flow when what I want to express finally expresses itself, right? And when I'm in that zone, and when I, when I am, you know, you know, channeling the secret fire, as I like to call it, it's like, it, I just feel this sense of bliss that is unique to anything else in the world, right? And I just, I love it. And it's like, man, I want everybody to feel what I get to feel when I do something. And I may be writing just a really bad story, right? <laughs> like it may just be garbage, Point is, it's not garbage when I'm creating it. It feels wonderful when I'm creating it. And like that, I chase that feeling my entire life. So. Well, you know, Bill, there, there, there's so much downward pressure in the world that we inhabit, especially when it comes to creativity, that there's, there's so much out there that, that will uh, grind you into powder and that te will tell you you're not good enough and will yeah. tell you that your music sucks or your writing's not good or your art is amateurish or whatever else. And, and people will then internalize that and tell themselves that their stuff is no good. And then they'll just leave it and they won't do it anymore. And so I, I would just say that for me, the takeaway from this episode is anything you can do to amplify the creative creativity of others is something that we're put on this earth to do. And something that um, if we can lift each other up rather than tear each other down, that is, um, that's important work that we're here to do. Is that another way of saying that perhaps you have to be friends first? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, Joe, I think you have said in 50 words what normally would have taken me 500 yet again. So uh, I think rather than do my final thought, I think you did it for me. So I'm just going to cut it off there. And uh, just guys, thank you so much for a great conversation. And uh, everybody out there, you know somebody. Every, to everybody in the audience, you know somebody who's creating something right now. They are creating a book. They're creating music. They're creating art. They're creating something, and you know it. It's your duty as, as a friend. Go, go engage them. Ask them how it's going. Engage them on social media. Talk it up. Talk it up to your lungs burst. You know, these things are like plants, man. They need water. You know, you, so just, you know, do that, for, do that for folks. I guarantee you, even the smallest interaction with your creative friend, it will, it will land so much more than, than you think. It will be such a massive thing that they will never forget that you showed an interest in their work. So be sure to do it. Uh, I think that's all we have for tonight. So guys, thank you so very much for joining us. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. 
For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts or visit us at www.momentsoftruth.show. And before you go, please check out Joe's award-winning, best-selling novel, Moss, described by Kirkus Reviews as, quote, an excellent and thoughtful exploration of art, ambition, and mortality, as the illegitimate son of a literary giant deals with love, loss, and the struggle to find himself. Order Moss today through Amazon.com or your local bookseller.